Hi, and welcome to Mouse Chat. I'm Lisa, and joining me, I've got Lauren, Sharpie, and Steve. Welcome, crew. Hello. Hello. Howdy, Lisa. Howdy. Hiya. Hiya. And today we're being joined by a special guest. Okay, so we have Chris Smith, author of a couple of wonderful Disney books. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a, a, a big fan of the podcast and a card-carrying member of the Sharpie Fan Club. So I'm 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 thrilled <laughs> to be on with you all tonight. I don't even have the cards. Oh, you're the... a pun fan, aren't you? <laughs> I am. <laughs> he's, a, he's a he's a pun lover. Sharpie's my guy. Sharpie's working on a he's well, working on a pun Lisa, book. Lisa, I'm not insulted by that. Are you? <laughs> no, I'm not going to cut him off every chance I get. Uh, Not at all. No. Okay. So Chris, tell me what books do you have? Sure. So I've got two books. The first, uh, the Walt Disney world that never was, that was, uh, published about a year ago that, uh, that looks at kind of the, the stories behind the, the amazing projects, you know, the lands and the attractions, uh, and shops and restaurants that, uh, Disney Imagineers dreamed up, but for uh, a lot of different reasons, never came to be. Um, and my second book, um, the the backstories and magical secrets of Walt Disney World, uh, Volume One, uh, kind of takes a, a a different look. Kind of it looks at the the stories and the fun details and um, kind of those 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 secret finds that Disney fanatics like me love, uh, and all of the lands and attractions and shops and restaurants throughout the parks. And it was just released uh, a few months ago. So, so what's the, what's the research and how do you get into, you know, putting all this together and, you know, where do you, where do you start from when you want to put something like this together? Sure. And so kind of, it's, it's interesting you asked me that because the research for each of those books was, was completely different. Um, the Walt Disney world that never was, was, was a, a heavy document driven research project. Uh, a lot of old, uh, marketing materials that the Disney company put out. Um, you know, Disney was much different back in the in the 60s and 70s than it is today. It was much more uh, willing to to promote projects that weren't you know 100 uh, percent for sure coming to the parks. You know, today you know they're not going to put out you know any type of promotional material unless they know 100 percent the the uh, the project is going to happen. Uh, poured through a lot of a lot of uh, corporate records of the company. I, every time I say this, I, I, I feel you know like I, it shouldn't come out of my mouth. But uh, you know, I'm an attorney by day, and a lot of the material for for the Walt Disney World that never was came from Disney's own corporate disclosures. Um, they they put out annual shareholder reports each year that anyone can get online and find today for the last say ten to fifteen years. It's much harder to put your hands on those reports from the '60s and '70s, and that's where they really discuss a lot of these uh, these really grand projects that that just never made it off the drawing boards into the parks. The backstories book, on the other hand, was a much different type of research project, and really that took a lot more time. Uh, I'll call it more more fun research. A lot more times, just in the parks um, and and observing things. I always tell friends and family who are visiting the parks to you know, don't just walk down the streets and not pay attention to what you see and you and you hear and you smell. You know, pay attention to your surroundings and really that, that's what it was. It was paying attention to every box, every crate, um, every you know everything that I could see, touch, and feel in the parks, um, and a little bit of document research there as well. Um, and so kind of two completely different, uh, different research, um, uh, methods that I followed for each of the two books. Now, I guess some of those are obviously like the windows on main street. You kind of start with those. Yes. Some of the jungle yes. crews. Yes, that's right. And it's, and, it, and it's, and it's amazing to me, I, you know, when I started thinking about, you know, the, the backstories concept, I, I really thought about, you know, what is it about, about Disney world that, that creates such an emotional response from so many fans across the world. And I don't know about you all, but I, I'm an amusement park fan in general, right? So I, I live in North Alabama and there's a six flags that's not too far from us. And 
love Cedar Point um, and Ohio and, and even the local you know, carnivals that come to town. I, I love all of those things. But I think we can all agree that that Disney is just different. Right. And yeah. I started asking myself, you know, what is it about Disney that makes it different from all these other entertainment options? And when I started thinking about that, a lot of things came to mind. You know, the 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 cast members who who just kind of go above and beyond uh, to, to, to make your trip good. The the architecture of the buildings, uh, you know, all these these individual things that I love about the parks. And what I what I came to realize was what really for me made Disney World so much different from those other parks and places was an accumulation of all those individual things. And all of those things allowed me to kind of leave the real world behind and step into these, these really grand stories that Disney's creative people have created on a grand stage throughout the parks, uh, both at a macro level, you know, for the parks themselves or the individual lands, and at the micro level for every, you know, attraction and restaurant uh, and shop that you encounter. And certainly anybody who visits Disney World, whether they know these backstories and, and secrets and details, um, can enjoy them and have fun, right? I mean, just the sheer uh, beauty and the fun of the attractions. But, you know, when you start digging a little deeper and looking at all these details, and and, and you had just mentioned the, the windows on Main Street, which are some of my favorite um, uh, tributes to, to Disney's Imagineers and executives and creative people. Uh, it, it really makes the experience so much more enjoyable. And you really understand, I think a little more about why, uh, you know, Walt Disney World in particular, you know, garner such an emotional response from, from so many thousands of fans. And I think that's something that, that a lot of, of Disney fans, learn over the years is that depth of of what makes a Disney park a Disney park and it's that seamless storyline that Disney excels at telling a story and they want to make sure that that that, that the storyline is solid because every story has a beginning a middle and an end but then there are all those details that that Disney includes and packs in around that beginning that middle that end and even whenever you ride an attraction it's it's very easy to ride an attraction like Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and pick up on the storyline as you're boarding the attraction but then once you get on the attraction it's easy to to kind of lose track of that because it's all about the experience but when you ride it a couple of times you really begin to pick up on the, the the depth and the threads of that story that kind of weave together to make that that whole picture of a story told uh, absolutely and and really if you if you you know if you kind of take a step back in time to to the 1950s when when Disneyland was first was first created you know, the Disney company was not an amusement park company. You know, what they were, were was a film company who were experts in telling stories. And they took that storytelling emphasis first to Disneyland and then in 1971 to the Magic Kingdom um, and Walt Disney World. And and you see that throughout the parks, uh, you, know, pr- you know, even before you, you, you enter the turnstiles. And I think that storytelling emphasis, again, that's, that, that's why I began this, this series of books. I think that's what makes Walt Disney World and, and Disneyland, you know, so much different than the other experiences you see out there today. And I think that's why a lot of Disney fans kind of kind of get get their feathers ruffled when Disney goes to to change an element of that story. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, what, what what specifically comes to mind is is the upcoming changes to to pirates. Uh, Cha- changing out the, the the we wants the redhead scene uh and like one of the t-shirts i saw the last time i was down there said we wants the redhead to stay stay exactly where she is yes and that's, i'd buy that you know it, it's and it's that emotional attachment and, and and i'll i'll tell you sharpie you know when i heard that news i'm not you know my knee-jerk reaction was oh no we can't we can't change this but you know uh you know when we look at the Walt Disney World that never was, you know, uh, and kind of those concepts that never came to be, what's so interesting to me is that, you know, you have that emotional response when someone wants to change an element of Pirates, but Pirates wasn't even on the drawing board for Walt Disney World when that right. part was being developed. And it was that public demand for it after the Magic Kingdom opened without Pirates that eventually brought it to the parks. And so I think that fan emotion is a great thing uh, but at, you know, in, in some cases it can get a little, you know, a little out of hand because certainly 
the the Disney company and and the Disney parks also have a history of evolving and growing over time. And so it's difficult to balance, you know, those, those classic attractions that we all love and hold dear to our hearts uh, with kind of growing and evolving and changing over time. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool to think about about the Disney the Disney parks uh, or the elements of Disney parks that never were because the, the, the last major project that Disney announced that, that, that never came to fruition uh, was the Eagle Pines DVC resort that had been planned. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and that, whenever you look at the land and what that whole corner of the resort, the area that it, kind of shed off to the four seasons. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting that, that before, before September 11th, 2001, they had had redevelopment plan for that whole corner of the resort, but no longer. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, and just talk about the Walt Disney world that never was, you know, for a moment, you know, there are, there are certain topics that, you know, that, that some Disney fans care about and others don't, you know, you know, hidden Mickey's are one, you know, some, some people love hidden Mickey's, others don't. Um, the, the concept of what could have been at Disney is really a concept that I feel like we, we captured lightning in a bottle because those concepts, literally every Disney fan I talk to is really captivated by. And when I began thinking about writing a book about the project, it was, it was, you know, solely because I thought, Hey, these sound like really cool ideas. I I wonder why they never came to be in the parks. But the great thing that I discovered through the research phase of the book is that these, these grand concepts that, that, that never made into the parks, you know, there was so much story there and the story of how they came to be and why they were never implemented really, really story of the Disney company itself and how the company evolved and responded to things like external economic pressures and internal imagineering disputes and, you know, all these different things. And I realized these stories of things that never came to be again, were the story of the Disney company itself. And that, that just made the the topic for me that much more interesting. And I really wonder if our current era of, of lower international visitors will also begin to change the storyline that's developing now with all the developments that, that's coming down the pike for, for the big anniversary celebration at Walt Disney World. So it's going to be interesting to see to and watch travel trends over the next couple of years. Yeah, it's, you know, we, we, we are, you know, I tell people all the time, really the, the era as amusement park fans that we are living in today is absolutely unprecedented. The amount of, of growth and new projects, you know, specifically those announced in the last, you know, 18 months, are are amazing, you know, entire new lands and headliner attractions. And, and certainly as we, as we bear down on the 50th anniversary, that will continue. Uh, and, you know, we, we just need to kind of sit back and, 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 and enjoy this while we can. But w- one of the overarching themes of, of, of never was, is that good, good and great ideas at Disney Imagineering never die. And so what I always love to see is that when a new project is announced, to try to tie that to something that was was planned before, but never actually came to be. Now, certainly, you know that becomes less and less impactful today because of the 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 heavy intellectual property emphasis that is placed upon new lands and attractions, as opposed to wholly developed, you know, internally developed intellectual property. But it's still fun to watch because you can see even a new projects kind of hints and shades of things that were were discussed and talked about, you know, even decades before. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the things I'd like to see is, you know, cause they have all these other parks too. So you can see where Disney has taken like a sub from 20,000 leagues under the sea, and then they've turned it into like a mini attraction outside of space, <laughs> yes. space mountain over in Disneyland Paris, or you see like they built Tron and Shanghai and it's successful. So they decide to bring it to Disney world and you can kind of see it where, and now they're bringing toy story land that they have over Disneyland Paris, kind of a version of that to, Disney Hollywood Studios. So it's neat to see what they're doing in other places and some they stay unique to that location and some they, they move over and keep the same or slightly change up. I'm surprised there's not a Matterhorn anywhere else. It's so iconic and it's so original to the park that. You know, it's funny you mentioned that there was actually, um, you know, one of the many, uh, 
uh, World Showcase pavilions that was planned but never came to be was a Switzerland pavilion, and it and the 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 plans and designs for that did call for a a Matterhorn bobsled type attraction there uh, that unfortunately never came to be. But but I agree with you. It's 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 not often that you have kind of a headliner classic attraction like that that didn't replicate it in the other parks. Yeah. Yeah. Through, through the holiday season this year, I, I watched a couple old uh, uh, Disney Christmas specials. I, I referenced one uh, a couple weeks ago that was just one of the one of the most bizarre things I'd ever watched <gasps> oh, from Disney. I did watch um, it, by the way. Oh, did you watch that? I watched oh it gosh. right after did, podcast. Did, did you watch Pluto holding the live goat? That was, uh, yes. that was priceless. Uh, but, but, but one of the, one of the things that, that uh, a promotional video that, that followed one of those mentioned was the, the, the new uh, and upcoming Brazil and Switzerland pavilions. And, and that was years after Epcot was finished. So, I mean, those were, fairly well down the pike and they were promoting those. So, so yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting that, 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 that development still hasn't happened. Uh, and with the recent closure of the circle of life theater and the Disney performing arts, uh, youth performing arts series moving into that space, uh, it's rumored that the space that that program occupies backstage now is being cleared for the possible development of a Brazil pavilion. Once again, hmm. rumor, but yes, and and you know, World Showcase. You know, I don't know about you all. You know, I absolutely love the area, uh, but but just as an example of how you know, as a just as a general park fan, you can miss things as you as you go through and enjoy the parks. Before I started researching, you know, the Walt Disney World that never was, I had never really paid attention to the, the large plots of open land that sits between almost every World Showcase pavilion that's there today, right? Oh, yeah. You know, in my mind, I just thought, well, one ends, the next begins, there's a little bit of space, but, but, but most of those areas have large plots of land that, you know, were, were designed for additional, additional pavilions of, of, of other countries, uh, and they just sit there today. And, and as you mentioned, you know, there have been rumors for years um, about new pavilions coming in, and those and those rumors have 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 gotten a lot hotter over the last you know year or two with with regards to both the a Brazil pavilion and a Costa Rica pavilion. And uh, you know I'm I'm all for uh, any new World Showcase pavilion. Really, the reason why, uh, from a business standpoint, those haven't happened is because that you know you know what what the Disney. And I, you know, sometimes I, I, you know, I hate even talking about this, but but a lot of people forget because of how much we love the parks that sitting behind those parks is an actual company that you know has shareholders that it reports to, and the goal is to make money. Uh, you know, when they add new attractions or lands or, or pavilions, the goal is to bring more people into the parks. And mm-hmm. from a business perspective, uh, the decision has been made for the last you know ten to twenty years that. The addition of a new World Showcase Pavilion wouldn't really do that, right? It wouldn't bring in a significant amount of new visitors as opposed to those who visit today. But fortunately, again, uh, you know those rumors have heated up in the last, you know, in the last year, and and who knows what will happen yeah. uh, moving forward. And the other element of that is the sponsorship of the home countries. Yeah. So yes. when you look at the last pavilion that was constructed, it it is it is spectacular. I mean, if you've never taken the chance to to kind of walk off the beaten path and go back into the depths of the Morocco Pavilion, there's a whole world waiting back there to be discovered. A I whole agree. new world. It's it's, beautiful it's spectacular. Back there. It, 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 it is, is a ab- whole new world, Lisa. Thank you. I thought that got you know <laughs> just complete. It. Thank you. you. You've Don't never worry. been there. I can show you the world, Lisa. Is it, it shining? Is really, there's a lot of little hidden gems back there that you don't know. Yeah, little peaceful corners and just the artistry of, of the construction, uh, the way – because they, they brought over the artisans from Morocco to, to, to build that. It, it's spectacular. Lauren, what would you want to see? that a, a rumored or a new land or a new attraction? I don't know. Um, I would honestly – see, I'm a huge, huge fan of the countries. Yeah. So – I honestly would probably prefer to see 
another country go in. I just don't know where they could put it really without it being cramped. Well, they have Unless space. They, well, they could step behind the Africa. The Africa um, area is blank. And then Remy's taking up the spot um, next to France. <clears throat> yeah. So that attraction will take all that area yeah. back in there. But See, I, I approach the construction of a new pavilion from what's missing from the menu at Epcot. And that oh, is you're something funny. like a Latin American nice. player. Not not specifically Mexican, because that's there already. Yeah. But uh, like a Brazil think about a Brazilian steakhouse. Oh, oh my God. I just keep yeah. it green. Fantastic. Keep the green. Yeah, but thing. you've kind of got Ohana, which kind of goes off that same principle. Yeah, yeah but, look but, how but your, your Ohana is. And your flavor yeah. palette of 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 Latin American prepared food. You like, are it, so like with, with Ohana, funny. you have that kind of Pacific yeah. Rim. Uh, kind of Asian influence to it, but yeah. but yeah, you could do something totally different with the Brazilian steakhouse. You could you could do like old Olympic pavilions that have like just been left to to deteriorate. Really, you could. <laughs> <laughs> this is why they don't hire me to. Steve just wants there. an Arby's. You could That's probably it. get yeah, some of those. Oh, you One could have an Arby's. Arby's, and it could be like a hotel's dining experience. You could sleep in the back, <laughs> so all for. One price. Room and Arby's all Room in one. Room and Arby's. What if uh, they had like sandwich style beds or something? That'd be kind of neat. What about? Where they come down, the bun mm, closes you in. That's nice, easy. Nice and warm. Mm. Oh. There is, so, so Chris, what is the, what's your favorite, I don't know, a, a thing that never happened that you'd want to see? What do you want to see happen? That you would be like, oh, this would have been awesome if they had You'd pay up. like an extra $500 to see this happen. Well, no. Okay, an extra five dollars. Yeah, you know, that, that's I, I. As you can imagine, I get asked that question a lot, and it's it's like picking my favorite child. I, you know, every time I get asked that, I, I think I pick a different a, a different concept. Different one. But, but right. I, I'll I'll cheat and I'll throw two into one because they're related. That's and, a and someone thing. had mentioned earlier the the the, the twenty thousand leagues under the sea attraction. Um, and when I first visited uh, Walt Disney World in nineteen eighty three. It was absolutely hands down my favorite attraction. It 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 you know it it captivated me like no like no other attraction ever has. And that attraction remained extremely popular, you know, through the mid nineties. And unfortunately, the attraction was a maintenance nightmare for Disney. And so it ultimately shut the attraction down, even though it was still popular. Well, in the mid nineties, this was also the Michael Eisner era of you know, we need big attractions and we yeah. need attractions that are going to bring in a more teen and adult audience. And so two different teams of Imagineers started working on two different projects at the same time. They And they both would have been mountains, right? So you know, the Disney mountain range, Space Mountain, Splash Mountain, Big Thunder, uh, Expedition Everest and, and the Animal Kingdom, you know, e-ticket type attractions. One of those was called Fire Mountain. And it was based upon the same, you know, Jules Verne uh, type um, type uh, influence. It would have been a, a a massive volcano with a really ingenious roller coaster that that went through it. The coaster would start as a normal coaster with a track beneath you, but halfway through would transition to a to an inverted coaster, so the track would be above. Yes, um, so that would have been, I think, a a, a great concept. At the same time, another team of Imagineers started working on a mountain called Villains Mountain. And uh, I think probably as any any hardcore Disney fan knows, you know, believe it or not, the Disney villains even today are an extremely popular part of the Disney parks. Um, you know, their merchandise sells heavily. The meet and greets are always popular. And so another mountain was designed there would have been a log flume type of attraction that, that, that kind of paid homage to all the Disney villains. Um, and ultimately at one point, Eisner considered adding both of those mountains to, to the park. I mean, can I mean, just imagine that yeah. you know, the park that we have today and two completely different mountains being attached, but the, they but both, yeah, yeah. they both fell off the, 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 the drawing board for, for, for different reasons. Um, Fire Mountain, they had, a, they had attached an IP franchise to it for a, a film that a lot of people don't know about called Atlantis uh, that, that was made using you know, the traditional animation techniques at a time when the computer animation was, was, was getting hot and, and the film just did not do that well. Um, Villains Mountain, on the other hand, 
There was actually talk of an entire villain's land or even, maybe even a standalone theme park, and, and Disney didn't want to use a headliner attraction like that for the Magic Kingdom when it could have been used for one of these other areas. And then, you know, unfortunately, you know, both of those concepts ended, you know, fading off um, into, into never was. But, you know, I just kind of, it kind of, you know, makes me smile to think about, you know, two, you know, additional mountains in the parks um, on top of what we already have now. But but he brought Alien Encounter to Tomorrowland. Oh, Don't forget I, that. I, <laughs> did you ever ride Alien Encounter? Uh, I, I, I did or ride not Alien ride. Encounter. And, and what's funny is, is you know, and I talk about this and never was, the concepts that could have been before Alien Encounter. You know, I think Alien Encounter is a very, you know, uh, controversial and divisive attraction some disney fans you know swear it was the greatest thing they've ever experienced others i was uh, not could, a fan of that could not believe that was that was in tomorrowland at all uh and i'm probably closer to that side of the equation uh, but you know but, but the original concept was to have it actually based on the alien film franchise from 1979 an r-rated film I mean, can you think about that an attraction based on an r-rated film being in the most magical place on earth. Uh, but it was, believe it or not, during the Eisner era was, was strongly considered before they eventually uh, got to the the actual alien attraction that opened that, that did not have any connection with the original film franchise. Yeah, I took my grandfather on that. You did not. <laughs> I did. And then I Grandpa took, Joe? Yeah, and then I took him on uh, Animal Kingdom on Dinosaur. That was horrible. How did he like that? And then I took my little, I took Amber and Brooke on that when they were very, very little. And then I realized that I spent my entire time covering their eyes. When it's like <laughs> screaming, oh. bouncing, scary. Like, hey, we're just going to go in this dinosaur institute, look at some fossils. <laughs> and then I felt bad. After we got off, I was like, that was not a good idea. Either with my little kids or with my like 89 year old grandfather. Ugh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was probably a bad decision. You know, both of those. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Wow. Did I know about this? I don't probably. I don't know. <laughs> I'm all for, you know, getting kids on rides and So what are what are some of the magical secrets or backstories without giving them all away? Yeah, you know, Steve, what I like I think most about about the, the backstories and the secrets of the parks are that certainly, you know, the major attractions have those, right? So the Haunted Mansion and Big Thunder Mountain, you know, you know, those certainly have their fair share of backstories and, and secrets. And I'll talk about those in the book. But what I really enjoy are the backstories and details that Disney Imagineers added to places that they really didn't have to, right? You know, um, and 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 one example I'll give is the the Pecosville Tall Tale Inn and Cafe in Frontierland. So, you know, you've got a, a a counter service restaurant that for years, you know, served burgers and fries before they they changed the menu recently. That is is beside you know two of the most popular attractions in the parks, uh, Splash Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain. So, literally, you could have a this restaurant there with no theming whatsoever, and people would still flood you know through the front doors and and, and buy the food, but. Uh, rather than just relying on that, uh, Disney crafted a, a very intricate backstory for the restaurant based upon the character of Pecos Bill, which was featured in one of their their package films from the 1940s uh, during the World War II era, where they were trying to save money on production costs and 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 kind of moved away from the full length animation films and. Uh, one of those package films included a segment uh, based upon Pecos Bill, who you know was supposed to be the you know the toughest you know rootness tootness cowboy in the entire West, uh, who accomplished a lot of a lot of crazy things, uh, creating the gold rush by knocking you know teeth out of the the mouths of cattle rustlers and, and things like that. And th the backstory for the restaurant is that essentially. Uh, Pecos wanted to create a watering hole that that served up the the tastiest eats and treats this side of the Rio Grande, and um, and his his famous legendary friends would always come by and stop in for something to eat, and would leave behind something for Pecos to remember them by. And so, essentially, what you have is a is a tall tale 
Hall of Fame all throughout that restaurant. And uh, it always, you know, breaks my heart a little bit when I go in there to eat and people are eating and enjoying their food, which is great. But they're not paying any attention to all the the what I think are extremely cool artifacts all over the wall. Uh, you know, Paul Bunyan's axe and uh, Johnny Appleseed's tin hat and, uh, you know, Davy Crockett's uh, uh, powder horn. And it just goes on and on. Literally, that's a very large dining area uh, if you've ever been to the restaurant. But it is filled from floor to ceiling with different uh, with different hidden details. Uh, and again, it's not something that the Disney Imagineers had to do. It's something they did, you know, because they wanted to, and they felt like you know adding a story to this place would 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 be great. One of my favorite things is the code of the West that they display on the wall. You know, which is you know um, defend the defenseless, respect the land, and don't ever spit in front of women and children. You know, I just you know as a Disney dork, I just get a, a, a big kick out of that kind of stuff. But it's it's a it, it's filled with with, with fun uh, backstories and and storytelling details. Yeah, it's it's amazing when you can, you can get into it at all levels. So you can either just go and enjoy the rides, uh, or you can kind of get into the history. And there's like so much that they hide in all those attractions. Did you, did you ever do, uh, any, write anything on pleasure Island? Uh, you know, I, I, I did not, uh, pleasure Island. I had been to, I think just one time, uh, and really didn't go back again until obviously, you know, we've been to Disney Springs a lot of, a lot since, you know, things have been completely renovated the last several years, yeah. but, uh, man, you want to talk about a complete reimagining yeah. of a, uh, of a destination, uh, you know, when I had gone several years ago, you know, you could, you know, you felt like you were there by yourself and now it's almost like it's a, it's a fifth gate, uh, yeah. additional park that people go to, um, you know, as a part of their vacation. Yeah, they did, they did like a story behind pleasure Island and they actually had plaques like brass plaques on each building that had, you know, a couple paragraphs of, and you would go from plaque. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. You go from plaque to plaque and read the story of how pleasure Island came to be. And I'm like, how in the world, like a new year's Eve, every night party atmosphere, <laughs> who's going to even know. And you had no, I only knew because I took a tour of it before they opened and they said, you know, here's the story and they're on each building and you can find these plaques. And I was like, Oh, you know, so they, they try to weave that story. In. And of course with Disney Springs, you know, they have that whole story of how the Springs, you know, became to be, and they have, you know, all the different buildings in the town and then they have the Springs. And so it's the same type thing, but it, I think it plays a little better there than at pleasure Island. But, but yeah, if you ever do anything on that, they, there's some plaque somewhere in some archive or on eBay or something, I guess when they tore all that down. Well, see, I, I think you make a, a really great point. And so I, you know, I've started this series of books and, um, and the reason it's a series is because there are so many, of these backstories and details that you can't, you know, there's no way to get it into even one or two volumes. But even for me, so someone who has, who has, who has visited Walt Disney world, uh, you know, you know, hundreds of times, um, and, and have taken, you know, many research trips, you know, again, not, you know, down there just to have fun, but to look for these items. I kid you not, every time I visit the parks, I see things new that I've never noticed before. Uh, I and, do too. and that's just a testament to how, how, you know, great that storytelling detail is. And certainly things change and evolve over times, but a lot of things have been there for years. And even though you're keeping a close eye out, you just for whatever reason miss them. And then one day, boom, there's a box that's addressed to some character from a Disney film from the 1970s and 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 you found another detail. It's 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 a really fun thing for me that, you know, that I don't think anyone, uh, even, you know, the the most senior Disney Imagineer uh, knows all these, these secrets and details. And that's what makes it so fun. Lauren, do you have anything? I've been talking a lot. I probably cut you off. Uh, no, the only thing I wanted to know was, did you actually interview Imagineers to do this? So for the backstories book, I did not for the Walt Disney world that never was, um, I did conduct a couple of phone interviews. Um, and, uh, what I discovered was, um, you know, it's, you know, I, I don't want to name names, but I was, I was very hesitant about doing that. Uh, but, but wanted to, you know, to, to make sure I covered my bases. And what I discovered was, you know, most Imagineers who have, who have now retired are extremely gracious. And 
if you just the fact that you're asking questions about certain projects, uh, you know, they get fired up about them and, and, and really love to talk about them. And, um, and I'm glad you brought that up because kind of another point I'd like to make about the Walt Disney world that never was, is that a lot of people think that because a project was never actually completed or implemented into the park, then it must have not, it must have not been that good of a concept, right? You know, if it, if it didn't make it past the finish line. And really the opposite of that is true. I mean, it's these projects were so grand and so large that in many cases they came a large price tag uh, and they just couldn't justify it from a cost perspective. So they, it's just, you know, they were the best of the best. And the reason I bring that up in terms of discussing the Imagineers, you know, a lot of these Imagineers pour their heart and souls into these projects. Uh, and unfortunately, many of them never came to be. And so that's, Another thing that I try to do in the book is at least mention the Imagineers who were were key in the process of dreaming up these ideas and and putting in a ton of work into them, even though uh, for a variety of reasons they never actually made it into the parks. Yeah, mm. I remember well, I was on the college program and one of the we had to take classes as part of the part of the uh, college program to get credit, and they had an Imagineer come in and he was talking about this new ride called the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. And he showed us all the stuff that was going to be in this new ride. And, you, and it was so much more elaborate. You know, then I was a cast member when it came out and I got to go to the cast member preview of Tower of Terror and ride it, you know, as a cast member. And, and you know, they were going to have, you know, you look up and the cable snaps and the sparks from the cable <laughs> snapping. And I mean, it was like down to the, you know, all these cool, amazing. But then you know, that's how the creative process always starts. And then, you know, then there, then people start to say, well, how much is this going to cost? And we need to do a new attraction every so many years to get people in. So how, and then they, you know, they start to whittle away at some of those things. And then you end up with what you have now, which if you don't know all of that, it's like this of still amazing ride. But then some of them, like you said, are just too, I guess, over the top and they just, they just can't make the, uh, the cut. Yeah, and really, you know, um, you know, kind of the greatest concept that never came to be was a project called Thunder Mesa, which which would have been just absolutely uh, breathtaking. You know, kind of an entire sub land and frontier land that would have included a a, a Wild West version of Pirates of the Caribbean uh, and a a mine train type roller coaster. That you know, cost was one of the primary reasons why it never came to be, but you know, kind of what we see today, that, that that's kind of the flip side of the coin about thinking about some of the concepts that never made it into the parks is that if they would have made it, we may not have the attractions there today that we enjoy because both Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and Splash Mountain were direct descendants from that idea. But, you know, again, it was such a monumental project um, and, 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 you know, construction projects, uh, I think, you know, both for us as individuals, you know, if you're working on a house, but certainly large construction projects like theme parks, they always go over budget. I mean, it's just, you, you can just take it to the bank that that cost will always run out of hand. And when that starts happening, uh, you know, the business people start looking for areas to cut. And unfortunately, you know, some of these attraction concepts that were innovative and, and amazing and large and, 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 and just kind of things we've never seen before, came with a corresponding mm -hmm. price tag to match that. And those were the easiest ones to cut, um, you know, to get, to get the parks themselves to the finish line. You know, I think to parallel the whole, uh, you know, almost mourning over things that never were and, you know, that would have been great. And then you're pointing out that, well, if we had those, we wouldn't have what we have now type of thing. I think with, Disney, especially more than any other theme park, really anywhere, you have such nostalgia that if you don't keep the park the same, people are going to get upset and, and petition over keeping things. And if you don't change the park and give them something new and interesting to come back to every year, they're going to get upset. So it's a fine line to walk. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's a great point because that is a an extremely difficult balance. But that one of the things I tried to do in the book was to also and and I, this is maybe my favorite part about 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 the book is that 
there are different areas in the parks where you can you can find remnants or homages to these 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 concepts that never came to be. So so Thunder Mesa in particular, you know, if you're paying close attention while while you're in the Big Thunder Mountain queue. Uh, there's just so many details in that queue. Uh, it's fantastic, but you will see a lot of different posters and signs that reference Thunder Mesa, you know, as a location, uh, as a town. And that's no accident. Obviously, that's a subtle reference to to the major project that never came to be. That I, I think it's fair to say that 99.9 percent of, of Disney fans will never notice. Uh, but for people like me, when I see that and see that the Imagineers today. Uh, are still paying homage to the Imagineers of old and the hard work they put into those concepts. I just think it's fantastic. So we've talked a lot about what what hasn't been so far. So so let, let, I, I'm I'm always a big fan of speculating. Let's take a minute. Will there ever be a fifth gate? What do you think? <sighs> wow! Jump right in, Sharpie. I know, I know, I know. Wow! Just I get to like, it. I always like to think about it. I mean, leave it to Sharpie to go for the jugular. You know? Yeah, go for it. He I didn't just, even I, pause. I, I dive right in. Well, here's what I think. I think we are, the short answer is, is yes, I think that will happen. But I think we are a long ways from that happening. I, I think that's going to be years and years in advance. And, and I talked about it before. I, I think we're in an unprecedented time of theme park growth specifically in Orlando, uh, and the battle that Universal Studios, the arms race that Universal Studios and Disney have been engaged in for the last couple of years. Mm, nice and, parallel. Um, you, you, know, it, you know, creating new lands is a substantial risk and a substantial investment. And so when you, when you kind of extrapolate that out to an entirely new park, uh, you know, that risk goes up. But I, I feel almost, you know, a hundred percent that universal will open a third gate, not counting their water park, a third theme park gate within the next 10 years. I think when that happens, depending upon how successful that gate is, if it's based upon the Nintendo IP, they just acquired some other things. I think that might be the push to Disney to take that step. That's been rumored for years, whether it's a villain's gate or some other type of gate, Pixar, uh, uh, to open a fifth park. And uh, so, so Sharpie, I think that will happen, but I think we are a ways away from that at this point. Well, one, one market that I consistently think that Disney is missing uh, and whether this be local to Orlando or, but is the indoor water park, mm -hmm. especially with the, the temperatures trending colder down there over the last few years, there are zero indoor pools on Disney property. Well, 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 let me tell you, Sharpie, uh, I, my wife and I just got back from marathon weekend, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago and, uh, getting up early for those races and it being 20 and 30 degrees. Um, uh, if there was an indoor park, I would have been there. <laughs> uh, uh, I can tell you, um, but that, that's interesting to think about, you know, the, the water parks, um, you know, based on the things I've read and things I've researched, the water parks are, are much more targeted towards uh, you know a local um, audience. I think they get much more local participation at those water parks than maybe you know uh, guests from out of town because a lot of times guests from out of town feel like they you know even if they're just doing Disney parks, they already have four different gates to to juggle. Yeah. Um, but you know who knows? I mean, if 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 it's as cold as it was uh, you know a couple of weeks ago for for more than a few weeks. Uh, they need to come up with a lot of different plans to address that because it was, it was pretty miserable. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's, it's always interesting to speculate like what, what, what market is, does Disney know they're missing? Uh, and what market do they want to completely distance themselves from? Say, say for instance, like pleasure Island, they realized that, that family travel is their bread and butter. So opening something targeted to young adults and, and adults in general didn't play so well. Yeah. And, you know, I think a key component uh, and some people are upset with this, but I think it's just the way of the world. You know, when you talk about risk in terms of a new business venture of that size, you know, what are ways that you minimize that risk? Um, you know, the way that we see today with different attractions and lands is making sure there's an extremely heavy intellectual property tie uh, to that land or attraction. You know, Star right. Wars, great example. Absolutely. And, and, and Pixar and things like that. So I think for a fifth gate, you would have to have strong IP 
to tie into that park uh, through the different lands. And certainly, you know, no company has done more in terms of acquiring new 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 franchises than the Disney company has yeah. with Pixar and Lucasfilm and and uh, and Marvel. And even though there's the Universal Marvel license. Uh, they have intellectual property oh plenty uh, that they could use to 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 do a fifth gate, but it's it's just such a substantial expenditure of funds. That's why I think they're going to have to be pushed to do that because I think, uh, and, and some people may disagree. I think what Disney has done with Pandora and and with Star Wars and some of the other things is a direct response to the pressure that Universal Studios has put on them by virtue of the Harry Potter editions. Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 and they did those so well. Absolutely. Universal did those so well. Disney, because before that, you could you could walk into either of the two Universal parks and walk out and be like, oh, that was fun. But there was no, there was no major, major, major wow factor or a major, major draw, but you drop those two themed areas into those parks and done to the degree that they completed, uh, both, both of the, uh, both Hogsmeade and Diagon Alley, bam, major fan attraction, major fan attraction. Could not agree more sharp. Yeah. You know, I'm, you know, Disney is, is, is my first love and will always be number one in my book, but those two Harry Potter lands, when you talk about, you know, again, I, I love story. I love detail. I love theme. When you step into those lands, it's unlike anything I've had ever seen before in a theme park. Well, and to step into Gringotts, I oh, absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and hopefully, you, you know, you've seen that with you've seen Disney up their game with Pandora, and and certainly, I'm sure we'll see them up their game with Disney. But again, I, I think this arms race is great for all of us, and we just need to sit back and enjoy it yeah. for as long as long as it goes on. I enjoy when they do the intellectual property, but I, and I understand why they do it, but I really enjoy when they do something totally Disney that has, that has no tie into anything like the the haunted mansion. I can't think of the name of it, but is it mystic manor over in Hong Kong? Yes. If you look at the videos on that on YouTube and it's, and it's not based on anything except some story that Disney's come up with and it's just phenomenal. But then you also have stuff like rivers of light. Oh, God, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. This is that is, that's fantastic. Are you kidding? That's Disney's. <laughs> I know. That's what happens with Disney development when they do not include intellectual property in it. <sighs> you leave your crowd standing there saying, what was what that? What just happened? What just happened? There was water. That was pretty. There was fire. That was cool. That projection. That was really neat. But, but you put it, it all together, together and it's like, what? I mean, it was, it was incense walking cast members away from Fantasia. Man. I mean, that, that, wow, that, that's, and people walking through the crowd with spray bottles. Like that's what separated it from Fantasia. Yeah. You know, Steve, <laughs> Steve I, you know, I actually love them both. You know, I, you know, I love uh, attractions and lands that have IP tie-ins. And I love the original stuff that they do most of the time. Right. But, you know, kind of one of the things, you know, again, and I hate to go from a business perspective, but when you're opening yeah. up some new, some new draw, uh, if there's an IP tied to it, then you've got a built in backstory that fans yeah. already know about. And you have right? the, you have all they, the they, merchandise. They know who these characters are. That's right. And so instead of being a, a Disney nerd like me and somebody who's, who's looking at every box and every crate in the yeah. queue, uh, you know, folks already know what is going on generally and, and are drawn to it even more. So yep. uh, I think we're just going to see more and more of that in the future. Yeah. Awesome. You want to wrap it up, Lisa? I can wrap it up, but before we do, Chris, do you want to give yourself a little plug? Where, sure. where can they so, find your, your research and your books? Sure. So, so, so both of my books, uh, the Walt Disney world that never was, and uh, the backstories and magical secrets of Walt Disney World Volume One. You can find both of those on Amazon, or uh, if you're a Disney book fan like me, go to my publisher's website, themeparkpress.com, and you'll find my books and a lot of other Disney books out there uh, to enjoy. A lot of which kind of graced my shelves long before I, uh, I decided to start writing. Okay, excellent. Well, I, for one, am looking forward to reading. I don't know which one I want to well, start. Well, we're going to give them away. No, no, they get given away after I read them. <laughs> no, well, Chris was nice enough <laughs> to give us a couple of them. Our they listeners may... can win a book that was read by 
Lisa Griswold. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, what what more of an are uh, what more of Wait, an honor can could we there be? Pass it around to all of us first, yeah. and, and then give it away. We're gonna we hi- sign it, too. and each each one of us will highlight our favorite things and scribble all in it. All right, I want purple. <laughs> oh wait, we're gonna take notes. That's awesome. There'll be like it, little lift notes in it. It'll be a nice broken in copy. Mm. Yeah, it'll be like a used college book. <laughs> and no. I promise I won't dog ear it like I normally do. So we have a couple. Sharpie's gonna like have little arrows pointing to things, and he'll say some punny remark, and there you point go. Point them all out. Well, Sharpie's got his <laughs> Disney World pun book coming out, so there you go. Yeah. How's production on that? The puns of Disney World that never were. <laughs> that, oh, that never should have been. I work my hardest to make them a reality every episode. <laughs> wow. So, well, on our uh, Mouse Chat fan community, so join our Mouse Chat uh, Facebook page in the groups and we'll give away the books in there so uh go ahead and join there and then maybe in a week or so we'll we'll figure out some ways to give them away i can't read them in a week yeah that's why (laughs) gotta get to work lisa ding dong okay you are okay so yeah i i expect some downtime pretty soon because i've been just gonna say that (laughs) yeah i'm i'm really on the beginning of something awful um so it's it's gonna hit me Right now I'm drugged up, so I'm pretty good. She's got the virus. I've got the virus. I'm the only one. Oh. Amber and I are the only two that don't have the virus in this household. Z- the flu bug. Yes, oh, I'm man trying standing. To, trying oh. to stay away Knocked from the virus. My butt for a week. Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, Brooke has it bad. Oh, it's does not, she? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And the thing baby. is, they they literally. She showed me. She tested for bacteria, and my throat is like swollen, like a. I don't know what's swollen big. <laughs> My throat's throwing, oh. swollen. So anyway, they check for bacteria and she does the test and she looks at me kind of like, I am so sorry. There's nothing here, which means virus, which means there's nothing they can no do. No drugs. Yeah. Uh, so I'll gross. wait this one out. Um, I, I am very impressed. I need to share this medicine though. Um, it's Tussin. I think I decided T U S I N. And it's good stuff. So there's a little plug for Tussin too. Um, oh, is so, that a commercial? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, this episode of Mouse Chat yeah. brought to you by Tussin. Yeah. They gave us 50 cents. No, no. They actually made me pay for it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. But it's done, it's done some pretty good stuff to clear me up for the day. And I'm functional. I just don't know how it's going to be tomorrow. So anyway, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was very nice. You're you're very fluid. I like how you kind of do this. So I would like to thank Pixie Vacations for sponsoring the podcast. If you have comments or questions, you can write to us at comments at mousechat.net. If you enjoy listening to the shows, there are more shows at iTunes and also mousechat.net. Thanks so much for listening. Please join us again next time on Mouse Chat. <laughs>